शर्म बदतमीज़ संगीता पिलाई एंड दिस इज द मसाला पॉडकास्ट वर वी टॉक अबाउट ऑल दो थिंग्स आर वेर नॉट सपोज टू टॉक अबाउट एस साउथ एशियन वुमेन सेक्स सेक्शुअलिटी पेरियड्स मेनपोज मेंटल हेल्थ निपोहेर शेम एंड मैनी मोर टूज नो आई एम आई एम हैप्पी टू बी हेयर in doing it even if that means i may be an outsider in other respects yeah it's time we heard the voices of real south asian women not just those we see in bollywood or in mainstream western media it's time we had a real voice a loud and proud and strong voice i've definitely started to enjoy dancing more later because i've my practice has shifted so that i kind of can get more out of myself but also as my body is aging a bit you know finding other roots i've invited some incredible women to sit at my kitchen table drink chai and put the world to rights sita patel is an incredible bharatanatyam dancer which is one of the ancient classical indian dance traditions this dance had originated in the temples of southern india it was practiced only by a community of devadasis these are women dedicated to serving a temple for life they were literally married to the temple devadasis also had a reputation they were often exploited by the priests in the temple and many became sex workers this wasn't always the case originally they enjoyed high social status these young women would spend their time learning rites rituals and dance they had independent lives wealth and often had children with high officials or priests during british rule however this changed and reformists worked towards outlawing the devadasi tradition they just didn't understand it after this things changed men took over as they always do they coined a new name for an old tradition calling it bharatanatyam they took away the privileges livelihood and the independence that many devadasis enjoyed Bharatanatyam is now a respectable dance. Sita Patel is a pioneer in the South Asian dance scene in the UK and all over the world. Sita has performed as a solo artist and worked with many contemporary and classical dance professionals. So why don't we start by you telling me a bit about yourself, where you grew up? So I was born in London and I spent my first 5 years living in East London and then at the age of 5 we moved to Bristol. My parents set up a flower shop. Uh it was funny because actually in the 80s it was quite a strange thing I think for an Indian family to kind of set up a florist. I think the norm was a, a sweet shop, corner <laughs> shop of some sort. Um but my dad was always a little bit of a black sheep and a bit different. And yeah, growing up in Bristol in the mid 80s, it was you know, there wasn't a big Indian community at all. Um we were very much centered around the hindu temple in bristol so that's where i actually started my dance practice it was a strange but quite pleasant time for me i was quite lucky i wasn't bullied at school and i was just a bit of a free spirit really what took you to dance what do you remember when that happened was there a yeah. love affair with <laughs> not really i think i was always a bit of a cheeky monkey and kind of you know liked putting on small shows at school with friends and 
and that kind of thing. But it wasn't until I was about 10 years old that my parents saw that there was this Saturday school set up by a lady who was a, a part of the temple and you could learn Gujarati or Urdu, Hindi and learning Bharatanatyam was one of the activities. And so I just said quite casually, yes, you know, Told why me. not? 10. So it's quite late to start dance. It wasn't a sort of rite of passage as it is for many Bharatanatyam dancers when they start and as they grow through it. It was definitely something I just thought, yeah, that sounds fun. So I wanted to talk a little bit about dance and the body because it, it completely comes from the body. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's the spirit and it's all of the other things. But I was reading this thing before I came over to see you about how within dance, the body is felt by the dancer, it's seen by the audience and it shifts and it changes as the dancer moves across the performance area. And I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Can you talk to me a little bit about how your art form, your dance feels within your body when you're performing? It's such an interesting question because I, I guess I don't really think about this very often because I'm just so focused on, you know, trying to stay in shape and be better and, and you know, Yes. find something higher within it for yes. myself as I grow. But I guess for me, it's it's always been a bit of a struggle. I think sometimes people look and think, oh, you know, that, oh, I thought, I've always, I've often heard, oh, you know, I, we thought you were a dancer. When you walk across the room, we could just the tell and move. that kind of thing. And I find that's funny because I actually feel like a very clumsy human being <laughs> uh, when I'm not in my sort of dance yeah. practice and dance performance mode. I've definitely started to enjoy dancing more later because I've my practice has shifted so that I kind of can get more out of myself. But also as my body is aging a bit, you know, finding other roots and enjoyment in the musicality of things. Um, but I don't know if I feel personally feel like a very natural dancer. I always do feel a bit sort of awkward and and gangly and and, you know, I just see my flaws when I watch a video or see a photograph as I'm sure many people do. It doesn't come across. I've, I've um, seen some of your videos. Do not come across as <laughs> And gangly. so, you know, apart from feeling like, you know, just visually viewing myself yes. through my own eyes rather than yes. through, you know, through the eyes of someone that's never yes. seen something before, I'm always analyzing and I just think, oh, you know, why is this always a fight? Why is it always a struggle in my body? Bharatanatyam is so hard. I really, I don't know anything that's harder. <laughs> you know, it's really hard work and it can be exhilarating. And, you know, sometimes I'll be on a high and definitely after a performance and that kind of thing. But in the practice of it, I, I it hurts. It's hard as a physical pursuit. Yes. Obviously, dance, especially Bharatanatyam for me, is more than a physical pursuit. But the physical aspect of it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. I think. It made me think of how our bodies move differently in different places. So if you're crossing the street, it moves differently. If you're swimming, it moves differently. If you're making love, it moves differently. If you're dancing, it moves differently. Mm -hmm. And just the kind of, it's almost the poetry of it, you know, about how, what our bodies can do and the things they do. And the, it's almost like our bodies know how to do these things. Obviously, dance you learn and, you know, something like a Bharatanatyam is years and years of practice. But we all carry this this within us. I think the potential of, of that is within all of us. Yes, maybe everyone's not going to have the right constitution to be a Bharatanatyam dancer or any sort of dancer. I think one thing I always find at different times I find myself grateful for is that I 
even if I don't like my body at some points or don't like how I look or how I feel, there's a comfort in if I have an ache, I know how to fix it. I know how to yes. touch my body so it feels necessary, not even sexually speaking at all. But if you're confident and comfortable to stretch or to experience your body outside of just normal walking around and daily activities. Mm. And I feel like I wish everybody could kind of experience that because, you know, sometimes I do work with non-dancers and I have lots of non-dancer friends and acquaintances and people who cross my path. And I feel sad when they can't enjoy their bodies in in, in slightly that. more more yes. than a pedestrian manner. Yes. Because um, it's just not part of their lifestyle. Oh, absolutely. You know? And so I feel very grateful that I, I've access to another part of myself in my, my physical being than just the sort of pedestrian day-to-day -day activities. Absolutely. And I think, I don't know how much of it, for me particularly, going back to my own childhood and my own life, growing up in India... I think we were told as as girls to kind of guard our bodies. So we're told to kind of protect our bodies, kind of you are inward, you're, you're never mm -hmm. outward, you're never expressive. With the whole, you know, the, the, the absolute horrendous sexual harassment that most women in India face. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was part of my life every single day from the time I was about, I don't even know, eight or nine. Oh my goodness. Till I left in my 30s. Somebody would grow up you every single day as you went to work, you went to college, you went to whatever so it almost becomes part of you to tr kind of withdraw and to shrink mm -hmm. and to keep the body contained and that to me feels like the opposite in many ways of dancing or moving or making love or swimming you know the the, the outward expressions so it's, it's interesting because i don't know you know if, with with the classical art form there is a lot of sort of restrained it's so refined in that sense yeah. and I remember you know in my sort of 20s when I started dancing professionally that I could see why dancers then would want to go to a club and just sort of you know let it all let out, it all yeah. out because even though we're being physical it's like I said it's so very controlled and so very specific and obviously not all dances like that you know there are different kinds of dance forms which maybe have a different kind of release but I know for me and Bharatanatyam it, it is a very controlled sort mm. of art form and there's a beauty and the freedom within that mm. but it is nice to sort of let your hair down and in fact as <laughs> as a bit of a busman's holiday I really enjoy dancing Argentine tango it's something I do for fun <laughs> because I can keep my eyes closed and be danced around I never wanted to sort of become a brilliant or amazing kind of tango practitioner yeah. because then it all of a sudden becomes a different part of my life you know becomes part of work or whatever but it's so nice being embraced and having that physical contact and being floated around a dance floor and <laughs> which is so the opposite to being a Bharatanatyam dancer in your kind of background growing up were there any taboos attached to body or the idea of body was there anything you were told as a child or a young woman growing up not really, but I guess I was never the sort of person, I was quite a simple child in the sense that, you know, I was easily happy with going to school, doing my work, homework and watching TV and, you know, eating dinner with the family and then going to bed at nine o'clock. It was a simple sort of happy existence. Mm. And somehow, I don't quite know how, but I never really felt 
you know, I would observe other girls in, in sort of my peer group at school in, you know, in the 80s and early 90s where, you know, wet perms and, and different kinds of particular clothing and, and that sort of stuff. But we had a school uniform and it wasn't particularly stylish. So I never had those pressures, I guess. Mm. Um, I remember at one point I, my sister had bought me a summer dress from H&M and it was just at a time when you know my body was changing and that kind of thing and I felt very pretty and I felt nice with the dress and everything and it wasn't kind of very brazen in any way but I went to my aunt and uncle's house and they sometimes host some sadhus who were part of sort of a particular part of Hinduism that they follow and we were playing in the garden all of us and then one of the older ones was saying you know maybe you should like or what even my aunt's mother said you know maybe you can like cover your chest that's where your soul is that's where your heart you know they said it very sweetly and gently mm. and I guess I didn't even think because mm. there's still a childishness about you when your body is changing it's yes. not like you're necessarily aware of your sexualization especially sort of around the 80s and 90s you know we, it's not as in any way how it is today there was no social media you know it's very different now. I don't know how it would be now, but back then it didn't even occur to me. I guess I was a late bloomer to even sort of know those things about myself. But I never felt, I never felt restricted. But I don't think that's because those things weren't present in society or in even my family. It's just that I wasn't that kind of person. And so... And you just weren't aware maybe. Or... Yeah, I just kind of, mm, you know, just mm. t-shirts and... leggings kind of person you know I didn't come into my own in terms of fashion in terms of my body until much much later in Mm. life Mm. even though I was dancing from 10 Mm. again that was a very specific kind of thing yes yes it wasn't it was fun it was pretty and shiny you know I was like a magpie it was nice to do those things and (laughs) nothing was sexualized yeah as far as I could see yeah so it was perhaps a product of the time mm-hmm. and also the person you were, yeah. I think, in that time. Yeah. That's really interesting. Weirdly, for me as well, growing up in India in the 80s and 90s, there was there were no magazines. There were no women's magazines. There was certainly no social media. Mm-hmm. And there was, I think, one TV channel. Mm-hmm. So we had none of the kind of exposure to body types and any of that. Would you say being a Bharatanatyam dancer and being British Asian is very different to being a Bharatanatyam dancer and say uh, growing up in Chennai and being Tamil. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I can imagine it's just 100% different, you know, because... Do you get treated differently? Yes, I think so. I think so. And, you know, it's subtle things, it's small things. It's not like people point and stare or anything as overt as that because... I mean, well, the thing is, like I said, Bharatanatyam is a really popular art form. It's practiced by a lot of different kind of people from different backgrounds in countries around the world. And, you know, Chennai is like the mothership of it. So (laughs) every year people will go there for the festival and to practice with teachers and, and perform and this and that. But I think there is a very much a sense of sort of national pride and I think people are really some people feel very strongly about the connection to language and you know I'm I don't speak Tamil and I'm sure many other people who dance Bharatanatyam also don't when it comes to translating poetry to things we dance to of course everybody will take the time to learn the translations and try and imbibe that but obviously things are lost in translation mm. I can't speak for others about how they find the connection to poetry and music when they don't have that element, you know, in their vocabulary. But 
I don't know. I think there can be animosities when, especially because of the complicated relationship between Britain and India. Politically, it's it's complicated. Socially, again, you know, India has a specific relationship to art and artists. And, you know, to be a professional artist is, is quite a different thing in India than it is to being a professional artist in the UK. You know, we have government subsidies for a plethora of arts and it's a flawed system, of course, and we have a flawed government. I'm very grateful that I can, I'm able to apply to the Arts Council regardless of my background, regardless of anything, uh, if I have something I wish to create and present. And I think the modes of sort of growing as an artist in India are different and there are different sort of hurdles and obstacles. And often that can manifest, uh, you know, it, in the same way that, for example, in the UK, people say that, you know, that there's evidence for sure that's very strong about being an actor and being, you know, being it, in the acting world is very much a pursuit that many only who are the wealthy and the elite can pursue because it's expensive to do those things and, and such and such. And even dance in many respects, I, I, yeah. it's like that. But I think it, it's maybe more magnified in India. Yes. You know, people who are wealthier can maybe take more opportunities and have more connections. To be honest, I think you, you do need connections in India to be able to thrive in, in, in certain landscapes like the arts. It would be hard for me there, I think, if I was of the same means. Obviously, I don't mean by me going there because my, my money obviously does go further and I would be seen as wealthy, but actually I'm not from a wealthy background yes. at all. And so, yes, I've had to work as a waitress. I've, you know, I've had to make ends meet so that I can be an artist. I live very frugally and all of those things so that I can sustain working as an artist because it's not necessarily a lucrative career. But I think there's so many other things attached to it, which I've sort of dissociated myself from in terms of, extended family and things here because I don't want to necessarily be under scrutiny of what you know how much am I earning what mm. do I really do and that sort of thing I can be away from that in my life in the UK but I think in India it's very much about who can afford to do the art form who can afford to perform who has the connections sort of socially and politically to be able to get anywhere and then you know you wonder what what amount of talent is really you know how much meritocracy is involved how in many really talented things. artists are not producing the art because they haven't got the means yeah yeah or they're practicing but they can't get further yeah. you know yeah it's no i'm i'm happy to be here in doing it even if that means i may be an outsider in other respects yeah yeah. Bharatanatyam, from what I, um, the little that I know, I know very little, has a lot of female expressions of sort of Shringar, which is kind of getting ready, getting dressed for your lover. Can you talk to me about that? About so Shringara is the expression of love. Is the expression of love, not rather than getting... You know, no, no, that's just oh, one... one sort of one aspect of how one might show it on the stage mm. but there you know there are many different aspects there's love in separation there's love you know there's pining for something there's being intoxicated by something completely you know there are many manifestations mm. of it if you're mm. young how do you mm. experience it if you're a much older person how do you experience it mm. and then there's a you know really interesting sort of overlap of where love turns into devotion and vice versa and yeah. that kind of thing yeah. 
I think it's interesting because yes, there are it obvious sort of tropes like adorning oneself and getting ready for your lover and preparing the bedchamber or any manner of other things that you might do that, you know, there's a whole genre within Bredanatium where you're angry with your lover. And so how that manifests, you know, and how you describe uh, maybe a lover who's cheated on you by having the coal of some other woman's eyes on his cheeks or, you know, <laughs> his lips look like they've been bitten. Where have they been bitten? You know, who, who have you been kissing? That kind of thing. I don't necessarily know how it sits within a sort of feminist kind of not just context, not even a feminist context, but an expression of female desire or love or. I mean, I I think in many earlier earlier compositions before sort of the Bharatanatyam that you necessarily see today, you'll see a little bit more of that kind of expression, those more erotic expressions of Shringara, you know. You'll see it in sculpture, you'll hear it in poetry and, and in that kind of thing. And so it's definitely present within Bharatanatyam as a historical sort of aspect of Bharatanatyam. But as I said, as it changed in when it sort of disappeared and then came back, a lot of those aspects shifted and changed. A lot to do with, the, like I said, the political and social times of that, you know, of that point in history. Um that seems really sad. Isn't it, it is that sad. But then that. when you think about how it's affected sort of, uh, you know, pop culture in India, where there's, there wasn't any kissing on Indian films or you'd never see mm. sex on Indian films, mm. that's also a, a comparable sort of shift mm. to a lot of the erotic poetry that you would have seen or the erotic paintings or the fact the Kama Sutras from, yes. from India. Yes. And so obviously there are shifts in, in sexuality and the expression of... of those things in all art forms in India. Yeah. I feel like, a lo especially things like the Kama Sutra, you read it and it's absolutely exquisite. It's beautifully written and there's all this kind of, it's very elegant. And I feel like maybe we, I mean, I certainly don't know enough, but within probably traditional dance forms, I'm sure there is more female expression than we see. And I think sometimes you, you, you know, you can still see it. It's, I don't know, maybe I would describe it as sort of being covered, this sexuality being covered by a beautiful, delicate veil. So you know it's there, you can see it through it, but it's not sort of explicit or yes. grotesque in any yes. way. You know, yes. it's done in a very specific, stylized yes. and essentially tasteful way. And it's about reading sort of subtext of poetry. Mm. It's mm. about that. And, you know, if some people choose not to want to go down that avenue mm. because it doesn't suit them. I enjoy that kind of human expression of love, I think more than a sort of religious or divine mm. expression, mm. because it's something I feel I can relate to more mm. and mm. and the humanity of all of those things yes, and not absolutely. just with love but with the other expressions and the other yeah. ex kind of experiences you might depict in these things yeah. uh, in these art in, in Bharatanatyam specifically and so but ultimately we are actors and actresses who are performing these things and so you know not everybody will have experiences including myself will have certain experiences that we have you know, gone through in real life to be able to know what that is. I've never mm. gone through childbirth. I've never been a mother. Yet I've depicted Yashoda, you know, I've depicted that relationship between mother and child. And I think I can find an earnestness and honesty in there. So when it comes to sort of sexuality and and that kind of thing, I think as hopefully as a, an artist that thinks and that can negotiate some of those feelings and try to bring an honesty to it and an earnestness to it, 
in a way that I would like to see as well, mm. you know, mm. on stage. Mm. I've seen some some dancers who are s- doing Odyssey or other sort of equally mm. sort of historically erotic art forms. In, when I say erotic art forms, I don't mean it in, in that sort of way as it, it's not the only part of yes. these art forms, but there is erotic poetry, which has yeah. a lot of subtext and yes. is very rich in its imagery and, and that kind of thing. You know, I've seen it done in a way that make made me uncomfortable only because I just felt it didn't suit. It didn't need to be done like that with the art form. I think I think the beauty of it is that it is subtle and mm. it's the it's the anticipation of something that you can generate mm. or the mm. more than the sort of full frontal ex- expression of something. So I what, don't know if it even needs it. So what was the one that you saw that you didn't? Like um, or felt comfortable. It was Can you just tell a, me about. Uh, it was just a it's an Odyssey piece that I saw of a solo dancer uh, some years ago, and it was really just depicting the act of sex in an Odyssey yes. performance. And I just felt it w- was kind of strange, and it almost threw me out of fe- the feelings that I wanted to feel at that point of mm. the eroticism mm. and the, and the mm. excitement. Mm. From what you said earlier about wanting to not necessarily have traditional dance be restrictive. Isn't that then someone else's expression of that? Yeah, and I wouldn't stop them doing it. Mm. It just wasn't my aesthetic mm. for that form. Mm. Like I would never censor anyone to do something mm. unless it was hate speech or, you know, mm. specifically harmful mm. to anyone. Mm. There was nothing about that that I'm not a prude in the slightest. I just have I just have an aesthetic which I I felt that I I could have seen that sentiment conveyed to me in a way that was better than that maybe they just didn't do it very well (laughs) maybe if I'd seen it and it was done in a way that yeah I just didn't think you know gyrating or rocking a pelvis was doing it for me in that situation (laughs) it wasn't musical it wasn't aesthetically pleasing or anything okay that's all All right (laughs) so I've got something to ask you as a total newbie I'm you know bad dancer I can't do anything coordinated the only kind of dancing I do is I get a bit drunk and I can sort of run around the floor and I love (laughs) it would you show me the most basic Bharatnatyam step or move or mudra I can show you mudra I don't think I I think my neighbor downstairs will will get upset (laughs) if I make you stamp in my house um but yes the most one of the most used uh, mudras is uh, katakamukha so you spread your hand out. Like this. Yes. And then you join your first spread finger and your right thumb. Hand, yes. And then you join the middle finger to that thumb as well. So you've yeah. got two fingers touching the thumb. Yeah. And then you stretch out the ring finger and the little finger as much as you can upwards and outwards. And then if you hold it sort of flexed at the wrist, that's how we... Very good. That's that's one of the basic gestures. And then often that will open up to oh, I've seen, an alapadma, yes. which is... Open no, the hand and, and flare the little finger up. So there's a, so if you open the hand completely and yeah. then just curve in the little finger, yeah, nothing else happens. So open, stretch fully, yeah, open fully, and then just curve in. Nothing else happens to the others. Yes, <laughs> obviously can't move it without. There we go. That's as far as but curve it, curl it in, so it's fanned out. So it looks like a flower, which is what the word is. Sita, your hand looks like a flower. Mine looks <laughs> like it's contorted. <laughs> don't do too much. You don't want to strain yourself. Okay, it's a good hand injury so in the process. I agree that I will never be a Bharatanatyam <laughs> dancer. 
It was really interesting for me to learn about the origins of what I thought of as a virtuous dance tradition. Back when I was a young teenager, I had this idea in my mind of the perfect Indian girl, formed by what everyone had told me. She's soft-spoken, very good at cooking and does all the housework. She's graceful, obedient, and she's training to be a Bharatanatyam dancer. I had this idea in my mind of a perfect Indian girl. I no longer do, because that girl isn't even real. I'm Sangeeta Pillai. Thank you for listening to the Masala Podcast. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras. What's that all about? Soul Sutras is a network for South Asian women, a safe space to tell our stories, a place to reclaim our bodies, to tackle taboos within our culture, to be exactly who we want to be. Get in touch and tell me your stories about your taboos. Check out my website, soulsutras.co.uk or get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk. I'm on Twitter and Instagram. Just look for Soul Sutras. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe and leave me a nice review. It really helps. <laughs>